And when you don't cut, it's like holding your breath psychologically. And we were worried that, you know, you, you give somebody, I don't know, they, they said a couple hours play a game without blinking psychologically, are we gonna create some serious player fatigue? But the hope was that it would elevate their emotional experience because we never psychologically removed them from the experience. Hey, what's up, PlayStation Blockcasters? This is Aaron Kaufman. I'm the Senior Community Manager at Santa Monica Studio, and we are taking over the PlayStation Blockcast with a new limited miniseries called Worlds Collide. In this limited podcast series, we're bringing together different departments across our studio that collaborated together on a feature to evolve God of War. Now, if you watched our full-length documentary, Raising Kratos, you got a glimpse into our journey reinventing our franchise. On this episode of Worlds Collide, we're pointing the lens at a feature that has always been critical to how we want you to feel in a God of War game. But what happens when you unhinge that feature from tradition? That is the no-cut camera. From the very first frame in God of War when Kratos cuts that tree down, to the seemingly final frame with Atreus as they spread Faye's ashes atop the highest peak in all the Norse realms, the camera never cuts away between gameplay and story. We always keep you right there, seamlessly grounded on the journey with Kratos and Atreus. The no-cut camera, it was a miracle of collaboration across many departments, but really none more so than narrative design and programming. The way they merged technology with cinematography to establish a single shot from start to finish and every which way you could venture on your journey, that, it was unprecedented for God of War. And it was bold, it was new, we hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Worlds Collide. I am joined here by three incredible developers of Santa Monica Studio who all worked on the last God of War game. Gentlemen, why don't we go around the horn? Let's start with Mr. My name's Phil Wilkins. I am a senior staff programmer on the gameplay team. And I've been working on the camera system for, I want to say, 15 years. Ever. Probably more than that. <laughs> Whenever we started God of War 1, so that's 2002, to now, 2019. So 17 years. 17 and a half years. They should name the camera wow. the Wilkins or something like that. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, if I'm going to, you know, publish it and, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> the, the Wilkins Standard Video Game Camera. <laughs> there you yeah, go. That, 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 that's, a, that's a life goal, isn't it? True. <laughs> uh, my name is Errol Oxus. I'm a lead gameplay camera designer. I'm Dory Razi. I'm the uh, director of photography and cinematic art lead. So, Phil, uh, I know we've talked about this in the hallways, but, you know, 20 years. I mean, what has kept you here at Santa Monica so long, Phil. So long. So it's, uh, it's a good job. It's a good employer. Sony's a very good employer. Uh, I love the studio. I've enjoyed working on pretty much every project uh, uh, that I've worked on here, and I've got on can the ones that I didn't enjoy working on. No, no that's a terrible thing to say. Um, <laughs> You're still here with us today. So we're I'm still here. I like making. <laughs> I like making video games. I did a bunch of things before this that I didn't enjoy, and you know, I found a job that I like, and you find a thing that you like. You know, grab it and hold on to it because this world is hard. <laughs> I think everybody here is passionate and looking to, to stay grabbed on to everything we're doing here. <laughs> uh, Errol, I know you were with us a little bit um, right at the beginning of Ascension or prior to Ascension? Uh, I came on a little bit after Ascension had started, okay. yeah. So I, yeah, I was here through Ascension, shipped Ascension, did some work on Int7, and then, yeah, the God of War um, when it started up in 2014. And, you know, for you, you haven't been here now about, what, six years, give or take? Uh, almost nine. Almost nine? Yeah, wow, yeah. my math is way <laughs> off. Yeah. Kind of six. Time, time, time flies. What has it been for you as we kind of reflect on the last 20 years? I mean, you know, for me, it's kind of, I feel sort of like privileged to have come in when I did, sort of kind of on the tail end of the, the classic games, because to be able to, you know, work on that project after seeing it from the outside of the studio, from afar, you know, how do they do that and all that kind of wonderful stuff to be able to go in there, participate, 
right? And then be able to be on sort of a transition to evolve from what that was into what we did with the last game, I think has been kind of like, uh, you know, sort of like a once in a lifetime, once in a career sort of opportunity. So yeah, it's been great. And it's kind of nice to have this chance to, to talk about it and reflect on that. Yeah, absolutely. And Dory, I know you've had a, a pretty storied career here just as well as uh, Phil and, and Errol have. I mean, what's what's kept you here the last five years and change? Uh, I'm the I'm the, the newbie, considering these guys. <laughs> uh, yeah, I came in here just as the team was moving to the new building as we were starting on the last God of War. Yeah, been here five years. It's a great team, great studio to work in. Awesome. So guys, uh, this last God of War game, you know, between Corey and everybody in this room, kind of all threw down the gauntlet together on the no-cut camera. It was the first time in God of War history that we'd kind of unhinged that camera and taken the player away from that third-person perspective. And, you know, when people first heard about this, it was a polarizing idea, whether here in the studio, even outside to the fans. And, and I think now here we are over two years later, and there's no doubt in my mind and the millions that have played the game that we pulled it off. A miracle in its own right. And so... Mm. You know, I'd love to just kind of kick off here and kind of like take people back a little bit and kind of remind us all. I mean, what kind of incepted this idea and how were each of you involved in that decision? To jump in on that one? Sure, yeah. Started. So first I heard of it was I had a, one of my interest interviews with uh, Bruno, our animation director, and, and Corey, our, our game director. They kind of just threw it out there like maybe a thing they want to do. And I thought it was kind of, the, they were joking. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Corey, Corey has been wanting to do an OCUT camera for a while now. And um, you know, being the game director on this one, it was, a, it was an incentive you could push. I was initially very skeptical as well. But as you know, Phil and, and Errol can attest this as well, when tech started to come in and we started to see that we can creatively pull it off, that was yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, I think uh, Corey did a good job of kind of easing our fears a little bit by... In the beginning, you know, it was like, no cut, no cut. But it was like, but, you know, maybe we might need to at some point. You know, like, maybe we can when we absolutely have to. And he sort of was like, yeah, if we absolutely have to. But we didn't have to. You know, I mean, it was a big task from a lot of different groups, not just camera. It's, you know, every group was touched by this. But I think that alone, you know, sort of allows to kind of squelch that fear a little bit and kind of go forward. And then, you the know. Fake the, 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 the fake safety net. It was, really, it was, it was a fake into. safety net. Because <laughs> um, I remember, to me, one of the things uh, when it was described was the, the E3 demo where the camera's pulling back and you're on the deer. I was like, well, how do we get from this close-up? And then, you know, like a wide shot with the deer and the vista. And early on, I was kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe, maybe this is when we can cut. But we didn't need to. And sort of just kind of took it from there. We just changed that scene. We just changed the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Things were accommodated too, but yes, absolutely. What about uh, you, Phil? I uh, I was probably the only person who was like absolutely utterly ready for for this one. So we were having the first story time. This was the first time that Corey had. Sh- I wasn't. I don't think I was aware of the, the mo cut thing at that point, but I was aware that we had gone to third person perspective over the shoulder. I'm pretty sure that that's what my, where my head was at that point. So Corey gives out the first story time. We're going to do this, and we're going to do that, we're going to do that, and we're going to do all with no cuts. And you're going to do it, he says, uh, pointing at me. And I'm like, oh, wow, okay, well. <laughs> uh, and the first thing through my head is, my bit's easy. The game is already continuously no cut. We blend between half a dozen cameras at any one point in time. Most of, it, most of the work I'd done prior to this point was making sure that interpolating all of these cameras was going to be completely smooth. And, you know, so for me, cuts were a pain in the ass because I have to, like, everything in the game suddenly has to sequence at exactly this point. You know, all our, our multiple different stages all have to go together or you get things not being where they are across those frames. And we have a few of those in the old games that I spent far too much time trying to remove. So <laughs> I was already super focused on like, yeah, no cuts is easy. But at the same time, I knew that for everyone else, it was going to be a nightmare. Because for them, 
cuts through a way of avoiding having to do things. It's like, yeah, you can just cut here and now we can just put everyone wherever we want them. Everyone gets to move around now and the okay, player, the because it's a cut, because it's just yeah. continuity and they just don't, don't see it. And now everyone else has to solve those continuity problems that I've been working on for so long. So Thanks, it's kind of, kind of like, you know. <laughs> when this idea came about, I mean, who do you think it was going to be the initial biggest nightmare for? Oh, whoever has to orchestrate all of the players, all of the actors in a scene getting into the right place. So that's this mostly Dory. Where I'm raising my hand uh, quietly. Because uh, <laughs> you have to have a, you know, first of all, you've got to like, you got to have a, you know, you've got to set the scene, you've got to get, you know, everyone's going to be coming from various different places. Some of them are more scripted than others. One of them's the player, and you're never entirely sure where they're coming from. Yeah, no. It's, or where they're going. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty crazy. I mean, making cinematics or visual storytelling in general, there's tools around that stuff. You know, you, you have editing for continuity, you have editing for pacing, you can kind of cut between different types and styles of shot to tell a story, and all that just gets, and it's gone. And now I have to figure out how do you tell a visual story without any of those traditional tools. So it was an interesting task. So what was the moment like when you guys found this out? Was it for you, Phil, was during story time, Errol, Dory, like where did you first hear Corey talk about this idea? I can't remember if it was. I remember there was a, there was a point when Intate God of War was in its incubation. So it was Corey and a small team upstairs and the rest of us were on in seven. And they asked me to come up one day and they just had some questions. And I can't remember if, it might have been in one of those that they were asking about either keeping the camera really close, which turned out to be another one of sort of Corey's directives, an overall close camera, uh, or no cuts. And it might have been in there. And, I, you know, as far as technically from the camera to not cut pure gameplay-wise is like, well, we just, we just don't put a blend time of zero. Like, it'll go from one to the other. It's just making sure everything's aligned and all the other hard work that's going to really make it pay off. So from that res- respect, it was like, it's technically possible. But I think maybe because at that time, that project was still maybe a couple years off, it didn't frighten me uh, that much. We had had on, uh, on in 7 there was a certain point where a no-cut camera had been brought up. Um, it wasn't as like a, a project directive, but it's something like, oh, nice to try. And uh, those of us in the camera design team kind of fought to be able to keep our cuts because we utilize it for a lot of things. Um, and the manner that we were making that game was less, uh, I guess, less less directed to facilitate a no-cut camera, which is one thing is like keeping the, the camera really close to the player character comparatively to where we're at with the old games having to have a no-cut camera when the camera is 15 meters back is quite a bit different when it's two meters forward. Mm-hmm. So um, I think some of those fundamental things for God of War made that a little less scary, but I don't think it really hit me at that time either. Yeah, there's also the combat implication, right? The whole idea of the over-the-shoulder camera kind of on, on face value sounds pretty benign, but when you look at implication for navigation and for combat and for things that from the old God of War camera you're used to be able to see behind you just mm-hmm. because of the camera perspective... And now suddenly you have this 180 degree of, of blind spot. And how do you account for that in combat? And how do you blend from combat to cinematic or from combat to navigation or vice versa? And that was a whole different ball of wax that I don't think we even realized until we started training those grounds. Yeah, yeah. I think the, I remember early on, Corey had come by and they looked at some sort of like examples of like, this is how close the camera can be with the, the new character model or an early version of the new character model, et cetera. And it was really close. Like it was from his his waist to the top of his head and that was engulfing the whole screen and he was like oh yeah check check this in <laughs> <laughs> and then you're and, on the floor uh, and, that, and that, that's, that sparked yeah like I think like maybe a year or so of sort of active deflection from combat because they're like you know sort of what the hell is this you can't see anything 
Um, so for a long time, you know, they were working with either their own cameras where they could pull it back to see what they're doing, um, which from a pragmatic reason makes sense. They would need to be able to see it. But slowly we went from that really, really close camera over like a year or so, you know, it got pulled back further and further back. And uh, I think Jason has talked about this in the past where, you know, we went down this path of pulling the camera back to the point where the game just looked and felt like every other game. Uh, and then he sort of came in on this one weekend and pushed it back in and, and with what had been learned in the previous year, you know, put something together that could be like, hey, this is something we can try. It didn't make it mm-hmm. easy and it wasn't solved, but like now we were able to to get back in. So, totally. and then, yeah, that set off another, you know, basically until we shipped, you know, combat working on the problem of, you know, you can't see behind you. So a lot of things were done, you know, for the enemies and, and for whatnot to, to help with uh, off-screen indicators and off-screen attacks, how often they attack, things like that. So things we're still working on, you know, it's, it's, it's an iterative process yep. forever, so. Yeah, there's a lot of teams that get impacted by the snow-cut thing in many ways that we didn't even expect. It's stuff that takes a while to figure out, and then if one team solves it in one manner, then it might affect the way another team solves it for their problems. And at the end of the day, everything has to look cohesive, so... There was a lot of literally pushing back and forth on on how that camera's going to land. So, there, I mean, most third party, uh, well, sorry, excuse me, third most third person, thank you, <laughs> action adventure <laughs> games kind of have that same issue, you know, uh, Batman, Tomb Raider, et cetera, where you can't see behind you. I don't think we've ever kind of dug into this as like one of the core fundamental issues of going to a no-cut camera and got where we always talked about there was a lot of dissent and fear and doubt, and we overcame it. What's kind of the difference in a God of War game with that problem versus other games that are kind of born with tackling that from their inception? Like, why was it a big issue for us initially? Because we'd not done that before, Yeah, I would say. <laughs> I mean, sure, we've got lots of examples to learn from. But yeah, primarily because we'd spent, you know, so long making this game in a particular way. And I've had to say getting away from that way and doing something completely different, bringing the focus in, putting the, bringing the camera under control was... You know, something I've been wanting to do for a long time. You know, because it meant that for, for me that, that now I have a whole bunch of new problems to solve. And fortunately, I've got a whole bunch of uh, existing games to to reference to take that off of. There are, you can say like third-person, like uh, camera games. There are, there's, there's, a, there's two kind of fundamental styles with a player-controlled third-person camera. There's like a, a Resident Evil 4 or The Last of Us. And then there's the, uh, the Tomb Raider or Uncharted style where you can go in any direction you want with the left stick and you can run into the camera and you can like run in directions and orient yourself and uh, uh, differently. So you can, you can see what's behind you by fighting in a particular direction. And, you, know, you have a lot more control, but with our style, it's a lot more tight and focused. It's more like a first-person shooter that you happen to be able to see the character in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that presents you know, a lot of difficulties and opportunities. Mm-hmm. Phil actually brings up a really good point because one of the the main focuses of the camera style for the game was that we maintain emotional and physical cohesion from gameplay to to the cinematics, to the to the non-controlled storytelling. And most of the third-person stories and games that we experience so far have a, an obvious level of cohesion in the gameplay, but when it comes time for the cinematics, you cut and you have this whole different genre or uh, language available to you to present your visual story. And we want to make sure that you don't have a different flavor in your mouth between gameplay and cinematics. So whatever you ended up landing on for the style and design for gameplay affected the language and style for the cinematics and vice versa. So whatever we committed to had to account for a very broad game type language, which is pretty challenging. Now, do you mean if I'm, you know, the even the first scene of the game where we go seamlessly from a cinematic to 
Kratos and Atreus fighting Draugr's for the first time. Mm-hmm. The just the the violent and the brutality and the way the player has combat in that, and then coming back to a cinematic is that kind of what you mean, like that visual language? Totally, and and having an emotional transition that's non jarring between those two events. You can be chopping some Draugr's around and then experiencing uh, an emotional beat between Kratos and Atreus. And we can't cleanse your emotional palate by giving you a frame of black, right? It's got to flow through, feel right, pace it right. And the general way you look through the screen, right, the camera's essentially your eyeballs, has to feel the same way, or at least close to. So maybe we could take a, a scene, uh, maybe the the first, uh, the bridge fall, when Kratos and Atreus fall through the bridge, and there's all the frozen draugers around them, and they're having that scene, they're on the ground, they're asking each other's okay, and they get up, and all of a sudden the draugers come alive, and they're, boom, right back in it. Could you guys kind of walk everybody through the, the flow of each of your roles, how they kind of intertwine in between cinematic and, and gameplay for... And if you have a different scene that you'd like to reference, that's just one that comes to mind that's for me. That's actually Serious Bastard, so... <laughs> 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 I'd be happy to work on that one. I mean, it started with something this, that was a total pain in the ass for Errol, so... You gotta be more specific, because that was a lot of... Uh, yeah, okay, <laughs> a lot so, of pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one where you walk so, out where and you, you lift, still have control, right, but you right. don't. So yeah, you lift up the... Uh, there's like a... I did, we call it the lift, where you lift up this big pillar, you go under, that's kind of an opportunity to allow the player to engage, you know, the scene. But then the game takes over, and Kratos kind of walks out, he's looking around. During that time, the camera is kind of going wide, I think, to highlight the mountains, one of the goals. The player can, if they want, they can move the stick around a little bit. That was sort of, you know, a little, a little thing that Corey wanted to have in there to make sure that there's some some agency. But then it the focus shifts from that moment to, I think, Atreus navigates out on the bridge, Camera sort of zooms in on that, and then the, I believe the player pushes forward, and then there's something uh, we call the time puppeteer, which would grab the player and navigate him to the proper point that would then begin the transition into the into the cinematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that little moment there probably utilized most of the tools that we had um, to transition out of these. Yeah, to give a bit more information about what uh, Eric just, Eric just mentioned, it's one of the things we were fighting really hard against is not just to not hard cut between gameplay and cinematics, but also from an experiential standpoint on the player's stick, to not have them feel like suddenly control was taken away from them. So we played with a lot of techniques that we tried to give the player the illusion of control while we were transitioning them from a gameplay event to a cinematic event, and that was one of the techniques we tried on the scene. Yeah, I don't know if anyone actually touched the <laughs> stick, or you know, you kind of just once you see the character navigating away on its own, you sort of just put it down and wait for the the next transition to happen. Right. You know, that opportunity is there uh, for them to do it. So that, that's sort of like a thing like player agency, and we're trying to be cognizant of how often we gank it away. So if we do something off of an interact. To me, that's a little bit more or a little less distracting than when you just kind of grab them out of nowhere. So sometimes we have to do that, but mm-hmm. uh, if we can avoid it, we try. And then at that point, it was designing uh, a relatively high action scene that culminates in a, in a big you know, explosion action point. They hit the ground, debris falls all over them, so on and so forth. A moment of wonder because then they get hit into this new arena they've never been in with these frozen creatures they never fully experienced before and let the scene go in a controlled fashion that we know how it would end from a cinematic standpoint, but would seamlessly pick up into combat. That was also a pretty tricky exit because combat had to start and flow in a way that felt natural from that moment of wonder into a moment of, oh crap, we're, they're on top of us. How do you guys, whether it's through programming design or direction, account for where the player is going to end up when you're going back into cinematic and it... You know, the camera has to whip in some sense or roller coaster to some area. Like, 
the player could end, end up in yeah, a lot of different that places. Never happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of this is possible because because of the nature of the game, we generally know when a non-interactive like cinematic sequence is coming well in advance. So there'll be like triggers, like a ways out that will start a process of handing off to from the the player control to the game's control. Uh, we're very very aware of whether or not the player is uh, touching the camera as well. So if they are touching the camera, then one set of thing happens. And if they aren't touching the camera, or if they've left it alone long enough that we consider the game is in control of the camera, uh, it will do other things. But we're always trying to make sure that the transfer from gameplay control, uh, sorry, sorry, the transfer from player intent into game intent, (laughs) technical here, uh, always has that uh, uh, second order of continuity, which is to say that the acceler. Am I going to get this right? The, 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 the acceleration feels like smooth and everything. Mm-hmm. Basically, everything's smooth coming in. We do a lot of, and that's that's a, that's a long chain, like technically there, because there's things like the camera is actually like uh, almost parented to Kratos. So Kratos has to, Kratos's uh, control has to also take over really, really smoothly as well, mm-hmm. uh, because you see discontinuities in camera motion in the entire screen, like everything, like kicks so you kind of it's kind of like the, the worst possible thing to have discontinuities or noise in unless you're deliberately putting them in there for effect because we do we do do that as well but yep. you know if you don't want it to be there getting that out of there is this is kind of the hardest thing yeah the transitions were, were a pain and to phil's point when the camera's wrong your eyeballs are wrong when your eyeballs are wrong just your experience of everything is just <laughs> wrong so and on the cinematic side we we called it the buttery smoothness pass is how do we get this thing to just glide right in we had a list of different types of mechanics that we could preempt and help glide kind of the, the character into where they needed to be. And uh, we just had to make sure to communicate that to uh, the, the environment and the, and the level design so we can get them to pick up from where we intend to let lay off and vice versa from the exit. Our hope was that you watch a, a scene that hopefully everybody thinks is beautiful and then suddenly the players is not moving. Like, what's going on? Oh, I'm in control. And we wanted that element of like, wow, I, I had no idea this was happening. Was there uh, was there any cinematic to gameplay moment that you guys were like, no way in hell, that's not going to work? Dragon? Oh. I mean, we had, there, there were some sequences that, you know, I went through different pipelines. Uh, you know, we had a cinematic pipeline, we had a gameplay pipeline. And some of them proved to be more challenging than others just because, you know, we you know, weren't sure what we were, you know, making for more, most, you know, good part of the, the project. Like boss fights were one where, um, you know, the boss, is, the boss fight itself is evolving up to the end of the project. So there's these planned moments, but sometimes you kind of work with a lot of unknowns. So I think the, the dragon fight, the transitions in some of those had a lot more variables than what we'd have in, in a cinematic transition. I think a lot of the Cine transitions, Dory would work with level design. They talk about where it's going in, where it's going to happen. They can ensure there's lots of funnels. With some of the the boss transitions, it can kind of happen anywhere in arena. So the I think the, the dragon one was particularly challenging because it was initially designed where you would be up against the dragon and you would attack the dragon and you could blend in from there. But you could also trigger this from being, you know, 10 meters back and throwing your axe and hitting that, that health threshold. So... Um, there are some things we had to do where the you know kind of camera has to lift up, focus on the dragon, Kratos under the hood is moved, then we can blend into the scene. Those were all learning experiences because we didn't know what kind of things we were going to get ourselves into. You know, now we have, and we're trying to keep that in mind uh, right. going forward. Definitely a lot of a lot of good growing pains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the, the the annoying challenges that we have to run into a lot, which is it's kind of fun when you, when we solve it well, 
is coming out of combat into a cinematic. Because like Errol was saying, if it's a boss fight, it could be anywhere. If it's fighting a group of whatever, it can be anywhere. And most of the cinematics happen in a defined position just to maintain background. So getting you to where you need to be, where you might actually be on the other side of the arena without noticing we put you 30 feet to the left could be challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> It's like a subconscious movement that you don't realize we're doing. It's like a, um, it's a magic trick. Yeah, really. it's, it's sleight of hand, yeah. essentially. Yeah. So like there's one in particular that's my favorite that Dorian then worked on. Uh, First Human Kill. First Human Kill. Yeah. So it's the, you come into this room and, you know, you fight these humans and after the after cinematic, they transform. Actually, no, it's before that. Before, uh, so yeah. when you fight them as humans, when you kill the last guy, Kratos kind of gets jumped by somebody in the camera and then they tussle around. I'll adore you going into the details, but to me, that was something that could happen anywhere in that room, even though they also kind of, they sort of uh, uh, hedged their bets and also placed the last enemy strategically. So you'd be in sort of the best position to initiate the sequence. But what they did when that sequence happened, um, we were able to sort of test the debug and you can be any four corners of this large room and you would get put into a very particular place and you couldn't tell. It was, to me, the best transition in the game. I don't know if you want to go into Thank that. You. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think it was, it was one of our uh, better successes, and, and we learned a lot from that one. What we essentially did is find a good way for Kratos to initiate a very jarring move that creates a lot of movement in the background but keeps him relatively centered on frame and utilize essentially a lot of motion blur in the background to jump that motion blur into another frame of motion blur that could be on the other side of the arena. So it's completely not noticeable. And we found that if we control the background luminance or just the way the environment is lit, as long as we don't jump luminance, we can teleport you a mile and you won't notice. So yeah, that worked pretty well. So Phil, when you're hearing this scene at the beginning of its inception, is this setting programming's hair on fire to figure out how to make happen, or do these guys already have the tools to make it happen? I was not aware that that scene was that complicated. <laughs> I, I I like to think that I gave them the tools to be able to solve that one relatively early. But that, that uh, one, yeah, I think that. I mean, the, there the, are definitely scenes that I remember they, being problematic, though. Because <laughs> there's, 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 there's one section that I think for the first time, it's I was watching it from the first time it was uh, it came into our group probably about halfway through the project to almost the day we were done with the project and that's the Kratos throwing uh, boulder in the uh, first oh, fight oh yeah because that similarly can you know you can get him down to that like level of health almost anywhere in that arena yeah. and you're sending him to a very specific spot yeah and yeah. the uh, number of iterations on that i mean it was so many times I saw you working on there, that, and I fixed so many little bugs for it, yeah, so much, the whole chain. My my part of that was just kind of just moving these numbers around just to finagle things. I think that was uh, uh, Fabian and, and Danny worked on that. And, and like, it was there, the transition worked, like, you could gra- get grabbed by Balder and you get thrown, you get there. But during some of those, some of those cuts, the mechanism that we were using to, you know, move the player across the level could be kind of finicky when you're jumping uh, through various moves under the hood. There's a lot of time at the end spent just kind of like getting numbers just right and, you know, asking Fabian, okay, can you move this joint just a little bit here just to get it all lined up? Um, I mean, it was worth it in the end, but yeah, those are, those are, there's lessons from that that we've, you know, taken to like, you know, let's maybe keep things as like one move rather than cutting it up um, just so we can mitigate, you know, how many problems we could have. But that one and the, the first human kill transition was one where the gameplay team, you know, did a lot of work to actually be able to move the player, you know, from that spot where any, you know, it could happen anywhere into a very, very particular spot at a certain point in the, in the cinematic or the, uh, the sync move. Um, so this is an example of like the camera portion of it, you know, we're setting how quickly the camera blends, looking at sort of, you know, where joints might be because we're most familiar with them. But a lot of the work falls on authoring on the animation side, engineering on the uh, gameplay side, and then 
any of the combat side as well, like making sure that that transition to narrative, you know, works uh, as seamlessly as it did. Yeah, Daryl's point, we actually stole some of the um, tech from combat for that scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, Tech they use to get the characters in sync for a synchronized movement in combat. So when you say joints, you're talking about legs, limbs, arms, knees, elbows, knees, elbows, yes. where they are yes. on screen. Uh, for us, mostly it's one very particular joint. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fibia, uh, the knee. We have, the, no, it's, uh, we have the like a, it's like a logical joint called the zero joint or the camera joint. We have okay. two of those. Those are ones that we're mostly concerned about because a lot of the the animated cameras will get baked out relative to that. The rest of the joints we leave to the animators to. <laughs> we don't touch anything. To else. hurt ourselves. Yes. Like, yes. <laughs> We're, you know, going back to, again, because I don't think we really dug into this in our marketing campaign or even after in Raising Kratos per se, but again, Corey expressed a lot of, you know, there was doubt, right? This seemed like a miracle. Didn't think we could pull this off, but, you know, you guys all came together. And, and what I'm hearing is a lot of it came down to that core issue of couldn't see behind the, the player, can't see behind them, that kind of that 180 perspective. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's not the the only core issue, but like Mm -hmm. for you guys, what were some of the core issues that, you know, that you guys had to get over? And and, and when was that point when everybody was like, it's working? This is this is it. We've got it. I think when we released. Uh, <laughs> didn't, that no, is no. a very good point. <laughs> uh, no, no. Some, I think, of the, uh, some of the some of the key valleys that yeah, you guys yeah. had to get through. Yeah, I, I mean the the E three twenty sixteen demo yeah. was that was you know do or die for a lot of it. So it, anything that was you know janky or unrefined or whatever had to get addressed. So that moved so much forward. Yeah, that that was a big one. Watching that thing flow and uh, it was playable. I'm sure that you know there were some rails that if you fell off of, things might look a little janky. But it, at least from a from an exper- experiential standpoint, it was 10 minutes of a thing that had controlled and non-controlled storytelling, combat and exploration, and it flowed. It flowed well. You know, Errol was mentioning that big vista shot at the end where where you reveal the dragon. By that point, you're like. We can probably pull this off. I think watching the uh, the reaction videos that came out of that were right. kind of like crack cocaine to us for the next couple of years. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, to this day, to, yeah. this, to, this, yeah. to, this, to this day, day. <laughs> even yeah, even when we're feeling down, I'll load one of those up because it was yeah, we were doing a lot of stuff and we just didn't know how it was going to get received. Yeah. But I mean, even so, the the E3 2016 was based on I think you guys have shown earlier like earlier demos based on that kind of that kind of uh, similar story. You know, Kratos and the Sun go out. Uh, and I remember, I think that first version of that was finished like end of 2015. And I was just sitting in the in the boardroom in in one of the one of the reviews towards the end. The lights were off. And we're watching it, and you know, even when that ended, and in the state that it was in, I I felt something at the end of that, like just that as an experience. It wasn't I wasn't looking at any of the pieces of it, just kind of taking the whole thing in. And then I felt that same thing when we were doing reviews for the E3. Even though like early on it was kind of putting it together, taking things out, moving it around. There's a certain point where you're in one of the reviews, the lights are off, you watch it, and you feel something that you've worked on, you've contributed to. So even though you're close to it, it can still affect you. I think that came through in the uh, in the reveal as well. Because when we watch people watching that, they're mostly engaged, they're mostly silent throughout, you know. And I think that's kind of a testament to the power of the story, to what the combat was showed, and the ability to kind of keep them engaged throughout without having to cut. Like, I think it, it doesn't really give you a chance to reset, but in a good way because they manage sort of that, the intensity of it, the pacing of it. Yeah. One of, one of the main things that we're concerned about is that cutting is a psychological blink. It helps you kind of cleanse your mental palate and it helps you, it helps your mind cognitively rest a little, uh, even if it's like a, a microsecond. And you cut a lot, you blink a lot and you can take in a lot of story and, and you, it gives you a lot of stamina for a lot of story. And when you don't cut, it's like holding your breath psychologically. And we were worried that, you know, you, you give somebody, I don't know, they, they sit a couple hours, play a game without blinking psychologically. 
are we going to create some serious player fatigue? But the hope was that it would elevate their emotional experience because we never psychologically removed them from the experience. And like Errol was saying, I remember one of those reviews, you know, everybody's sitting in a dark room and, and you see a thing that you've been working on. It's Technically, it's a creative review. And you used to likes coming up and everybody just immediately starting to talk about the things we need or not need to do. And towards the end of the iterations, the trailer was done, the E3 trailer was done, and there was just silence in the room. And, you know, they're like, okay, people didn't blink for the last 10 minutes and they feel good about it. It resonated. And uh, yeah, that was like, you know, ding in the bell right there. <laughs> we still had no idea how it was going to receive. So totally. that was... Uh, <laughs> we liked it though. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been mentioned a little bit that part of our Noka camera has enabled our kind of seamless load times as well. You know, kind of load in the universe. I mean, how does that, as Phil looks on and like, <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it's, it's no secret that the PS4 is not a seamless loading machine, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have a load time. How big of a challenge was that? And uh, it was like this, the Nokia camera was like a gift and a curse at the same time, maybe? <laughs> I, 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 as far as seamless gameplay goes, I recommend that everyone go back and play the very first God of War because that is a seamless experience from beginning to end. There's no loading in that game. And that was hard. That was like coming off of, directly off of optical with no no hard drive in between. And then we did the same thing for three by taking advantage of the hard drive in between and having a directly uh, an active cache that knew what was coming up and pre-warmed it so everything arrived in the right time so it was massively efficient off of it to this one where, you know, nice big hard drive, we know everything's coming. You know, this is easy compared to, to, to some of the earlier stuff, but you do have to do it from the beginning because you have to know, like, in advance where everything's coming from, you know, and you've got one of those games like ours which is largely a long piece of string or like it is now which is kind of like a star with lots of bits of string coming off of it. You know, it's very easy to predict where you're going unless you're right in the middle where everything comes off of and those rooms, those hubs are tendered nightmares, but at the same time, you still know things. So, yeah, there's a lot of magic in there and there's a lot of stuff that I am very proud of for this studio to have achieved over these years. If we hadn't done it for that last game, that would have been a shock from my perspective. So we've been working on that that aspect for a long time. It's good to remind people, you know, God of War historically has kind of had that Noka camera in quotation marks, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's, you know, we, we talk about it in a way that this is the first time, but, you know, we've done it in ways that were technically magical in the past games. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to remind that, especially as we reflect on yeah, 20 I, years. We're not, we're not, we're obviously, we're not the first either. I mean, we, we, right. we, we cribbed heavily off of other games that also worked in a similar way. I mean, the no-loading thing is directly taken from Naughty Dog. You know, you have to be inspired by... You know, the way that they made streamed these enormous levels uh, uh, for Crash because, again, they're pieces of string, so they knew exactly where they were going. Or, but they produced an amazing, like, visual quality at that same time. And uh, uh, Jack and Daxter, very early PS2 game that we were like, ah, these guys are setting a technical bar, so, you know, we have to reach for that bar. And, you know, in some respects, maybe we've... Oh, no, no, I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> They're a perpetual inspiration mm-hmm. uh, uh, to us. Yeah. I mean, also a lot of kudos should go to the, uh, you know, our team and the um, the capability of, of the new machines and what they could render, and obviously um, with what they can render from the art team. Because there's always been like that liar syndrome in games, you know, the cinematics are looking all nice and awesome, and then you play the game and it's a, a thing jumping up a platform. But we were actually able to create a cinematic experience that blends into the game that looks exactly like the cinematic experience and then back into a cinematic that looks exactly like the game. So, sure, we didn't cut the camera, but also visually we could maintain that level of cohesion across the entire experience. I think, yeah, one part of it is just like their ability to handle the anti-aliasing. Like right. we used to, in the earlier God of War games, we tried putting a little bit of handheld sway on the on the camera. And if you stood still, 
the entire background would just shimmer. So we had to like knew to take it off. But in this game, there's none of that. So we were able to kind of maintain some of that language from the cinematic into gameplay uh, without having to you know worry about that kind of um, the problem that we'd yeah, had historically. Exactly. We crossed the threshold where where continuously moving the camera actually helps the rendering engineers. At a very low level, even if we stop moving the camera, the camera is actually perpetually moving by like a like by a subpixel just to keep the. Uh, the temporal stuff happy. I'm not. I, I may may not be 100 percent on this. I'm not a rendering engineer, but uh, <laughs> uh, my understanding is is that yeah. Now now they just want continuous noise because noise small amounts of noise fixes a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, as far as I know, I don't think there is a moment in the entire game that does not have any level of some form of handheld unless it's turned off. Unless it's turned, it's turned off, off, right? Yeah. Unless it's yeah, yeah, yeah. explicitly turned off yeah. by the player. But uh, yeah. It's true. How did you guys bring that kind of documentary filmmaking style to the game between narrative and the gameplay? You know, what were some of the, the hooks from programming design and, and right. direction that, that brought that in? I mean, uh, first it was to try to figure out what style of documentary we want to do, right? Because there's many different style of documentary, but the bottom line of documentary is you want to tell a story that is about a real thing that took place, but here's how and let me bring you into that story. We thought it would be incredibly fun to create that kind of approach to something that is essentially fantasy, like real high fantasy. So it's like, hey, this real fantasy actually took place, and let's take you into that journey. Handheld was definitely part of it. It has kind of that raw, there's really somebody there behind there on the camera doing a thing, and they're really you were in there. there. I was there. <laughs> I really was. <laughs> I have the scars to show. Um, so the handheld library was for me at least, a very big deal, a very mm -hmm. big part of it. Uh, I remember days where Errol and I were, were in mocap stage and I was tethered to a treadmill, like, running with a camera in my hand to mocap how a running camera would look. But you were on a moving treadmill. I was, well, the treadmill was static, but I was running on that treadmill. <laughs> okay, it was static. Yeah. Um, Why well, wasn't running? Because, well, it was That's running. That's not fun. But, but <laughs> I was the running. Treadmill the treadmill was moving. <laughs> the bells on the treadmill is moving. And the airplane takes off if it has enough thrust. Okay, <laughs> there we go. move there on. Go. Like that. Yes. Uh, or like, you know, trying to figure out what to do with a boat. And we created this seesaw mm. on the mocap stage and could, to create the right kind of buoyancy. So it was really about trying to make sure that whatever we put on the screen was something that was very authentic and felt real. And so any, every time we kind of tethered or layered that on top of a visual experience, it helped ground it more into the this is really happening place and not just like, hey, look at this cool stuff. And how does, um, I know we talked about this a little early on, but um, maybe we could just go just a little bit deeper on when a scene has been concepted and you've shot it on the mocap stage, between the three of you, programming, design, and camera direction, what are the the dependencies that you guys all have to rely on each other for? You know, when you're when you're filming that scene, right? So, I mean, for me at least, it starts with a lot of communications with with, with uh, Phil and Errol because I need to know what I'm allowed to do and what I'm explicitly not allowed to do. <laughs> so sometimes you have these crazy ideas about, hey, look at the script, we can do this or that, and uh, you know, you talk to the guys and they're like, uh, mm, it's probably not the greatest idea. So you know, they're the grounding anchor of, of what is possible. We're the killjoys. You're the killjoys. <laughs> I was trying to be nice, but yes. Uh, killjoy Incorporated. But yeah, I mean, most of the tools they give us are, are pretty epic. So it's very rare that we want to do a thing that we can't. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure they can talk a little deeper about, about the, the intricacies. You know, Errol's got the hands on how and, and Phil's got the fingers on making it happen. I think the for most of the scenes, it was kind of the same process of, you know, uh, Dory would work with directly with like level design often, like what's the layout that you're going to enter into the scene, how it's going to happen. That all helps us early on because we know, okay, we're coming from X gameplay camera, we're going to blend into the cinematics. So we'd set up sort of this 
kind of interstitial camera to handle that blend. Rene Nona, our other camera designer, did a lot of those and, and handled them quite well. And then kind of the vice versa, coming out of the scene, making sure that the characters are lined up, you know, where they need to be, that, you know, these these uh, invisible joints are where they need to be so the, the blend is smooth. And that we're also blending back into something that communicates to the player that they do have control. Um, I think there's little little tangents. There's times where we kind of like let it the camera just settle, but there's other times where they need to know they have control back. So often we come out of cinematic into combat, you'll kind of feel the camera pull back a little bit in a very traditional communicative way of like, oh, something's going to begin. But yeah, I mean, aside from crazy things like jumping on flying dragons and other stuff, those are all very like... Or off a huge hammer. Off, or, a, off of a hammer, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the principle, a lot of those things uh, can be the same. So even though within the scene, they're doing all this crazy stuff, you know, if you enter, it, enter into it with an interact and you come out of it with, you know, a kind of a standard position, you know, a lot of that's kind of... Um, Pretty simple for us on our end. And, Phil, and Phil's got no It's very strange for, for me because I don't tend to deal too much in like the day-to-day of of like setting these individual scenes up or evaluating this particular a- a- area or whatever. You know, uh, for me, you know, the, the the whole process starts with a so, you know, so what tools are we going to need for this project? You know, what sort of area, what are we going to push forwards on this one? And I'll make... Uh, uh, little advances of uh, they're going to come up with some plans or whatever, and I'll give them some things to solve some, some maybe some broad problems that uh, are obviously going to come up. I mean, uh, it's kind of hard to speak the specifics on that one because where my head is right now, because I can't tell you what we're working on right now, obviously. <laughs> uh, uh, but generally, you know, we have this broad suite of problems, and you know, I, I start solving them, and as I as they need them, I try and prioritize you know individual tools that I get uh, for off for that one. So I'm very reliant on uh, Errol asking for a thing to solve a problem that he is aware of now. Uh, and many ways, that's just, many times, that's just like a reprioritizing, like a thing that I already knew we we're going to work on. And so for me, it's a lot of like getting things done in the right and most efficient manner. And then at the end of it, I get to see, okay, so we did this thing, and for some reason, this is all perfect apart from this. It does this thing here, and we don't understand why. And now I have to go in with a whole bunch of tools that I've written for myself to understand and analyze and see you know, what's going on and why this thing isn't working and then trace down whose fault it is and then go and berate some poor junior programmer who has missed out the fact that this so thing that they thought they could. He just puts the dunce hat on them. Yeah. I try not to these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, dinner's ready. Uh, <laughs> it's the microwave. You know, I think, again, we kind of look back on the project and think about our, our fears and doubts, but I, I'd love to ask each of you if you can think in the moment, like, what is, for each of you, one of the, the most memorable problems that you overcame in kind of the development of this no-cut camera? It could even just be a, a reaction to a fear that you had in the moment you overcame that, like maybe something you're most proud of, maybe for, for each of you and within your departments. Well, I'll go, I guess, so, <laughs> while Phil's thinking. Um, I mean, there were a lot. I guess one that, that sticks out to me was the some of the Dragon Arena transitions because those were things that, aspects that I had sort of taken for granted, thinking, oh, we solved it this way earlier with these scenes, we can utilize this. And it turned out that we couldn't. So that involved, you know, uh, combat designer Mark and and some Phil and, and Tom and programming, like, come together really quick in a short amount of time to, you know, find a solution for that that worked. Because that was one in particular where, like, when that initial solution that I thought was going to work didn't work, was probably, like, my biggest points of fear in the project was, like, oh, crap, how, how are we going to do this, you know, running out of time? But we, you know, everyone came together and we found the solution. Um, some of it by just kind of talking to the right people. I think the change that was, there was a change that was made for that scene we were talking about earlier, that first human kill scene. Mm-hmm. And when I got wind of that, that helped solve this particular problem. And uh, that was just wonderful. Yeah, seeing everyone come together really meant a lot. So Yeah, I mean, for me, it's kind of, like, it's an annoying answer, but just the, 
the fact that we managed to tell a story without cutting the camera. We really didn't know if we could do it. I mean, anybody can can shoot a no-cut camera. You pull out your, you know, your smartphone and you, you point your camera and you walk around all day, you're going to create a no-cut camera. But can you create an evocative story that gives viewers that today are very knowledgeable about being told a visual story and are very critical about it? Uh, a story that they can engage in and get emotionally evoked by without using tools that they're traditionally used to. So we didn't know if that would be successful until, you know, the game shipped and we got like our first month's reviews. So uh, yeah, that was that was an iron, probably the biggest challenge. I think the the defining section of the game for me is the intro because it's the bit that we probably put, we, we put so much effort into that. There's so many like one-off mechanics in there that you barely use later on or was not, not really... Uh, shown, but but more importantly, it was just the emotional resonance it had with me while I was working on it because I solved so many. Because the the the, uh, the the very intro with 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 Kratos and the axe, that's a very particular form of camera, and it had a few issues. And so that would be like the go-to one for fixing like this sequence, these types of sequences for me because it was like really you know uh, early on and very simple. And 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 also, it, it, I absolutely love the fact that. Uh, having come off of these other, these, these other games where we have this enormous explosive intro, enormous monsters, the biggest thing you've ever seen. And for Kratos in this game, his first boss is a tree. <laughs> and he chops down the tree. <laughs> he got very angry at it. You know? come on. <laughs> but it's that whole sequence. I mean, the, the, yeah. uh, you know, he, carry, he then carries you know, uh, the, 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 the log on his shoulder, which was difficult. He was gli- gui- being guided along a spline. So all of, that's a very careful piece of tech. Uh, the the enormous tree right next to the camera, basically any error in its motion was amplified because it's so huge. So we had to get that thing attached to him just working correctly. All of the transitions in that sequence were all like custom and unique and special, and all of them could fail in horrible ways. It has the first piece of really difficult collision as well, So because the, the camera's off on his right-hand shoulder, and he gets really close to this tree on the right-hand side and playing the collision to make that all work. You know, that was really intense for me. And then it comes into that bit where he's lighting the pyre. And for me, I lost a lot of family members over the last few years. And that was emotionally difficult. So right up until they get through that whole sequence, and then they rush off, and then you are actually under player control again. That whole bit for me was was such a journey, just getting that and making that look as good as it did and as clean and as seamless as it did and still carrying through all the emotional impact put in there by everyone else in the studio, I was just, yeah, that's that for me, getting that bit right, coming out of that and then into and now here's our game. It's just, yeah, that's that's just, yeah, that was what I lived for. That was awesome. And it did take all of us together to, to get mm. this together. I mean, I mean, towards the end of the game, I remember thinking about how everybody was just firing off all cylinders and how everything just came together to make it work. It was, I think that's really what what made it happen. Wow. Yeah, I, I I never knew any of that, and Phil, that's uh, that that's emotionally kind of heart wrenching and uplifting at the same time to hear you express it like that. It, it was it was difficult, and I couldn't tell anyone. It's like because like, <laughs> this is like it's like the intro to our game. You can't can't talk about this. I mean, my wife, uh, I talked about none of it. Yeah, it was very emotionally intense uh, period. So, yeah, but it was awesome. I, the only thing that came close was the reveal. 
when when Kratos steps through, like out of the dark, and the entire auditorium just loses its shit. Oh, you know, I mean, I know you guys do talking about the reaction videos, but being in the middle of that when it mm. happened, Oof. whoa! <laughs> yeah. I'm never going to experience that again. Whoa! We'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> I am hungry, <laughs> right? Right. Wow, guys. Uh, well, that that was a hell of a way to to kind of get us to the uh, the end of this journey. I do want to take a moment to ask each of you um, a question that I'm enjoying asking everybody that's partaking in this this series, which is uh, for each of you, if you could rewind the clock and go back in time, um, just reflecting, maybe just a short thing. What is one thing that you wish we had more time to improve on with respect to the no-cut camera? If there's one thing that you wish we could have done or improved on. I have one. Do you? Go for it. <laughs> collision. <laughs> uh, collision. We started collision too late. I, over, I underestimated the amount of uh, work that... Uh, uh, a camera collision with player controlled camera collision with the environment would take and we made a few bad decisions and I spent a significant chunk of the back end of the project fixing them all by hand uh, and not all of them there's still things in there that I go no missed it with that one but you spent a lot of time on the one that probably mattered most which was the first 15 minutes of the game yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean it's, you, you, it's, yeah, it's just picking your battles yeah right you only have so much time to make these things so, you know, it's like the, the most complex part out of it is almost is this a, the production level. You're thinking, trying to organize all of these millions of bits to go into like getting everyone together to make everything. Yeah. Well, we all, and not to sidebar here, but, you know, we all, we all take that intro for granted. I mean, to the player, it looks like a, it's a somber, easy, relaxing scene to yeah. some degree. You know, it's a serene nature walk with a log on his back. And nobody has any clue that, like you said, the millions of bits that go into making that possible and kind of the emotional journey that we all go through creating it from every aspect of developing this game. So, yeah, some of the things you shared, I, you know, I think a lot of people on the team aren't aware of because there's a lot of people that work on the game and we're all not aware of what we're all working on all the time. So It's uh, a, a rational one, isn't it? Is that everyone has like their different take on the thing. Like some people see it from this angle and this has got this story and you, someone else sees it from this angle and have this story, you know. I know it's, yeah, it's diff- people take away different things. Yeah, from bring yourself and to a story. I don't think anyone has like a complete holistic view of everything that happened on this project because there's a lot of things that connect to this project and there's a lot of people that worked on it, you know. It's like what, like hundreds and hundreds of people just in the studio and then in more, you know, you know, and you start bringing in everything outside. But even if you're just talking about the people who are focusing on it all the time every day, that's hundreds of people still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't know yeah, over the course stories. of five years, absolutely. Yeah. What about for you, Earl? Because there's something that I wish we knew then that we know now is that, uh, you know, where the player is, is the most important thing when it comes to showing things off, whether it's, you know, vistas or, or um, you know, going into some, you know, narrative sequence. Coming out of the older games, you know, the they were sort of like a camera pass, quote unquote, that like a level would get done, camera would do its thing, another one, they're all very discreet. Now, you know, we realize that like a lot of this stuff needs to be discussed early. So talking with the level designers so that they can ensure that the player gets where it needs to be so that you can have that cool reveal of some awesome statue, some awesome monolith, that kind of thing, which we tried to retrofit after the fact. It doesn't go as well as planning it from the get-go, which is something we know now. But that's something that I feel, you know, there's lots of awesome spaces in the game, in the exploration areas. There's so many cool statues that are just, you know, scream God of War that, uh, you know, going forward, we want to make sure that the lead-up into that can facilitate both, you know, level, art, and camera so it can, you know, deliver it in the experience that we want to deliver it in. Yeah, everything in God of War, I mean, obviously, it's the theme of larger than life, right? Mm. I mean, you know, I think anybody knew that the stonemason was going to come alive at the end of the game there, Mm -hmm. and the way you guys make it feel like the Empire State Building is hovering Mm -hmm. over you with the camera. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that's one of the things I've always loved about God of War games is, you know, you, you kind of pull that that trick, like something is always larger than you expect it to be. Yeah. You and never I, know what's around the corner. And I think it's it's learning how to deliver that from the, not the old-fashioned way, which Bingo. is just, just pull the camera back and it right. flies back and you see it. <laughs> you know, you can still get that sense of feeling from a camera that is close. I mean, one of the moments in one of the final cities where Kratos and Atreus are together and the snake comes in and bites the um, stonemason. Stone yeah. Like, you couldn't be closer to Kratos and Atreus and still feel that sense of scale. And we didn't have to pull the camera back, you know, to show that. So I think being able to bring that aspect through, you know, other parts in the future, I think will go a long way. But that was something that took a long time, I think, to learn. Totally, yeah. I mean, to piggyback off that, there's a lot of things that I wish we knew then that we know now, but I think it's not a matter of could have been done better. It's just we needed to to kind of sweat and bleed through that experience, like how to make something look giant when you can't pull back or like how to transition to something or how to tell an emotional beat without cutting. But one of the things that I think would have been helpful for us as a team, I think we're there now and would have been great to know earlier on, was the impact of a no-cut camera and how it creates cross-departmental reliability on each other. With the kind of older God of Wars, teams could be a little bit more self-contained because work was more bastioned. But when you don't cut, everything flows and impacts everybody else. And it took us a while to find out exactly where part of the work begins, where it ends, where there's a transition, what needs to be communicated. And uh, we found it, but it would have uh, would have split us up a lot and I think uh, solved some growing pains if we knew earlier. Well, that's that's a theme that we've been ringing through the, the halls of the studio, which is we are better together. Absolutely. It's, you know, we say... It's all of our individual stories, but it's our journey together, our journey, your story. I sound like a marketing slogan for the studio <laughs> now, but hey, you know, it's part of what I do. <laughs> uh, well, th- this was amazing, guys. I think everybody listening learned at least a few new things that they never knew about the development of the no-cut camera. And uh, once again, guys, uh, thank you so much for for, for joining on this. Um, are there any you know final words you'd like to say to fans and developers and, and really anybody out there for each of you? Uh, thank you for playing, and we read all of your comments on all of the forums. Uh, we do. We do. And we yes, shouldn't, we but we do. do. <laughs> oh, but we, no, come on. But we, appre- we appreciate that. I've read you, some the, uh... things. <laughs> it's not my fault. I, I want to throw Corey and it. Jason under the bus. It's their fault, totally. <laughs> yeah, they don't no. mind. No, no, no. no. no we, we like it. Yeah, we can't be more thankful for the fans. Their yeah. engagement is so inspiring, and it just it, it makes what we do worth it. Mm-hmm. So super thankful. Awesome, guys. Well, uh, enjoy getting back to work on Thank whatever it is we're working on next. Shh, 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 shh. And we'll end it with that. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you. If you're interested in working here at Santa Monica Studio, we are actively hiring for our next project. You can learn about our studio and more about all of our open roles on our official site at sms.playstation.com. And if you're one of the many fans out there that wants to engage with us, you can follow us on Twitter at Sony Santa Monica or on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram at Santa Monica Studio. If you enjoyed this episode of Worlds Collide, please hit that subscribe button wherever you might be listening to this podcast. From everybody here at Santa Monica Studio, thanks for listening. Hey folks, this is Sid Schumann from PlayStation Blogcast. We hope you enjoyed this special episode of the show, which gave an inside look at Santa Monica Studio, creators of God of War. We'll see you next week with a normal edition of PlayStation Blogcast.